can I change? And what we've been talking about is this idea of you are going to see yourself in five years, uh, hopefully. And when you look in the mirror in five years, there's a really good chance that you will be mostly responsible for who you see in the mirror when you see yourself in the mirror. Now, some of us will have some things done to us that were out of our control. Maybe somebody leaves. Maybe somebody shows up. Maybe there's something that goes on. Maybe there's a death in the family, and that helps shape you over those five years. But for the most part, you and I will be responsible for who we see in five years. And that's what we've been talking about. The first week, we talked about this idea of can these dry bones live? In other words, the way I am now with the things that I've been carrying with, with me for all these different uh, maybe decades, uh, maybe it's a substance, maybe it's a, some type of a habit, maybe it's a, uh, the, your health, or maybe it's your spirituality, maybe you've been a Christian for a long time and you feel like, shouldn't I be farther along than I am? Why am I still dealing with the same thing? So we talked about that. Can these dry bones live? Can, can you really change? And we answered the question to the series right off the bat. Yes, you can. And then we talked about this idea of a mental shift uh, between trying, you know, we say, man, I tried that and it didn't work. I tried and I failed. I tried and I failed. I tried and I failed. And switching our mentality from trying to training. Training has failure built into it. If you're training at the gym, you're going to keep lifting until what? Failure. And then those muscles build and then you do it again to failure. So we switched from trying to training. And then we talked about this idea of atomic habits, little habits that we change in our lives that stack up and over time make huge uh, dividends. You know, we talked about like a, um, a marriage, you know, you, yes, you go, you take her on vacation or you take him on the honeymoon or whatever it is, and that's great. But it's doing those, your daily chores, contributing every single week to the relationship laying down your life for your spouse, all those things, little tiny things over time make a really strong marriage. And then we talked about Breaking Bad. That was uh, uh, last week I entitled the sermon Breaking Bad. I was so proud of myself. Anyway, um, and uh, talking about habits that we have that we want to break. And we talked about, you know, making them invisible, uh, making them difficult to achieve and making them unattractive. We talked about those things. We inserted scripture into all those things. And I said that this week would be the one that really is the glue that holds them all together. But the verse that we've been, uh, that gives us the inspiration for this series is this, that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. That the Son of God, that Jesus comes down, I mean, that God, God comes down with skin on, Right? And he shows us, gives us this example. He sacrifices his life for us. He, you know, he, he teaches us the Beatitudes, teaches us a different way of thinking. And then he models this idea that he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. That there, he, he changed. Now, in, in his case, he didn't have any brad, bad habits to break or he didn't have any the, the nagging sin that's been bothering him since he was 12 or whatever it is. He probably didn't even bite his fingernails. I don't know. But anyway, he, he was doing fine, but yet he didn't stay in the same place that he was the whole time. And that's where we get that from. That from. And then kind of the overall message we've been saying is no matter what you do, there will be a future you. It's coming. Your future you is coming. And it's, when you look in the mirror, it's gonna, you're going to look back at yourself and go, how did I do in the last five years? Now, uh, th this morning we're going to be talking about community. When COVID hit, um, I don't, if, unless you guys don't know, COVID was this pandemic 
That was uh, <laughs> bad. No. When COVID hit, uh, I'm just going to talk from the standpoint of leading uh, as a pastor. You might have had to lead a division in your company through COVID. You might have had to well, lead your family through COVID. You might have had to have led, uh, you might be a teacher or a school uh, administrator, or maybe you have a small business or whatever. You all, we all had to lead through COVID. I'm just going to tell you what it was like to lead as a pastor. So I have about 50 people that I know are pa that I know as friends that are pastors, right? From all different denominations, from all different backgrounds, all different cultures. I have, I have friends whose churches are uh, predominantly Asian, predominantly Hispanic, predominantly uh, African American. And, uh, and so all those different cultures and all those different, uh, in all different areas of California. And so we all kind of went through the same thing. We just wanted to protect the people in our church. That's all we cared about. We didn't care about politics. We didn't care about anything. We just wanted to make sure, what am I supposed to do to make sure that people in my church aren't dying? So that's how it started out. And so we had that two-week, I don't know if you remember, two-week flatten the curve. And everyone's like, yeah, cool. We get to be at home with our kids. And this is the greatest thing in the world. And then like we, then it was like, ah, it might take a little longer. And you're like, oh, my gosh, I wish I never had kids. And like you go through the... <laughs> You go through the whole thing, you're like super excited to learn like what Zoom is and all that. For some of you, you're like, I got a computer for the first time. Like, congratulations. They've been around for a while. But, um, and so you, you, you go through all these different changes, right? Well, well, as pastors, we went through the same thing. So we shut down for two weeks. We were already live streaming. We were already recording. So we didn't really have to do anything for that. We shut down, and then we could open up. And then I don't know if you remember, but it went something like this. We, we, we all knit masks. Uh, you know, a lot of the people in the church were knitting masks. We were handing them out to the community, handing out uh, hand sanitizers, handing out toilet paper. Well, I, we were the only church I knew that had extra toilet paper, right? I was stoked. So we're just handing it out to people in the streets. You know, just, hey, man, here's the toilet paper. And you know, oh, my gosh, thank you so much. You don't even know. It was, like, it was like handing out gold bars, right? And so we did that, and then we, we, uh, we had church in the patio. Remember when we had, um, for those of you who are new, you wouldn't remember this, but we had Easter in our cars in the parking lot, and, and we transmitted it. We, 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 I preached from that patio, and we transmitted over AM radio, right? We did that. Then we opened up the patio, and we tried to have a screen there. Then we had a hybrid patio in here. We covered the chairs. I, I remember after uh, what we were doing two services for a while because you could only fit so many people in here. And so after the one service, I'd, I'd, I'd shoot a disinfectant bomb. It would like go and fill the whole thing because we didn't know how COVID worked. And oh, oh, my gosh, it was crazy. It was crazy. And then COVID was over. And of the 50 pastors I know, we all told the same story. What happened to everybody? <laughs> Where is everybody, right? Like for most of us, our churches were cut in half. In the beginning, when we first opened up, and I said, hey, it's back. You can come back in. Like, whatever. It's, we're done. There was 18 people in the sanctuary here. And I was like, well, honey, looks like I'm getting another job. Right? You know, right? And so we did, we did all this stuff. But here, here's, here's what I want to talk to you about this morning. The American church was exposed during COVID. The, the fact that people didn't come back wasn't a symptom of COVID. It's, we were exposed because the American church is a consumeristic church. 
That's what we do well. We're good Americans in church. We consume. That's what Americans do really, really well. And so what happened was once we could watch online and kind of hang out and do all this kind of stuff, it just fit our personalities really, really well. Now, for those of you who are watching online right now, I'm not coming down on you, okay? Just listen to the whole sermon. Okay, so that's what happened. It fed into who we are. When I was, uh, so if you go back and you kind of watch the American church over time, and these are so general terms I'm going to use. If you wanted to say, well, that wasn't my experience, it's totally fine. Just hear me out, and you'll kind of see a little bit of a pattern. The generation before boomers, okay, it was church every Sunday. You, you never missed church. Sunday morning, and then maybe you'd have a potluck after that, okay? And maybe your church uh, didn't believe in luck, so they called it a pot blessing, okay? Right? If, uh, let me tell you. If I advertised a pot blessing here at church, we'd quadruple, okay? It's just, that's just the way it is nowadays. But a, a potluck, you'd have a potluck. Then you'd come back on Sunday night, and then you'd come back on Wednesday night. And every single family in every community did that. That's what we did. We were like a quote-unquote Christian, like that's what we did. That's how we were defined. If you were American, you went to church, right? Then you had the boomers who were in the 60s, and they're all free and doing whatever they're doing. And so they kind of grow up through that, and they kept a lot of that. But then both parents started working. And so they gave birth to Gen X, okay? We were the first feral generation. Like, I could leave my house at 11 years old and not come back until 10 o'clock. Now, maybe you're Gen X and you had strict parents, but most of the generation was just like, hey, we're busy, go do what you want. And that reflected it in the church. And the church started doing these programs so that all these feral kids could go to these church programs. And all of a sudden, the church became programmatic. And so the churches who had the best programs, those were the churches you wanted to go to because who else is going to take care of your kids, right? All right. So then that generation, Gen X, creates uh, the millennials, and that's like, I'm not doing that to my kid. I'm going everywhere my kid is going. I'm going to be at the soccer practice, the baseball practice, ballet. I'm going to all the events. Right? I'm not just going to drop them off and leave and then wait for them to call me to come pick them up. I'm, 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 I'm going to do that. And so that's why we call it the trophy generation, right? I want to make sure my kids' feelings aren't hurt, all the, thing, all the things that happen to right? That's all we do. As, as parents, we just try to fix what happened to us. I, it's no big deal. There's not any right or wrong to anything I'm saying. But the church has followed suit. The church has become reactionary to what the culture wants. But here's the problem with human nature. Here's what we want, Okay. As good Americans, as good humans, this is what we want and this is what we get. We want low commitment. We want anonymity, convenience, self-actualization, no accountability, more individualistic. We become narcissistic. Okay, forget that one. I can't even say it. Okay, narcissistic, isolated, consumeristic, self-absorbed, more entitled, receiving is greater than serving, no risk and no vulnerability. That's what we want as humans. That's our broken human nature. That's what we want. The church of Jesus Christ cannot give you that if it's the church of Jesus Christ. It, it can't give you everything you want in order to feel comfortable. 
the word church means gathering. It means ecclesia. It, it's not Christians. There's a big C church, but that's not what the church means. Here's what the church of Jesus wants for you. Commitment. Actually, high commitment when you become a follower of Jesus. Authenticity. Unity, self-denial, accountability, community, reality, <laughs> okay? The authority, which is the word of God. None of us want authority. We all want to do our own thing. Contentment, sacrifice, grace, serving is greater than receiving, risk, and vulnerability. Now, if I told you I was starting a church like that, people would be like, oh, man, what, what kind of, what's the worship band like? <laughs> you know? Do you preach verse by verse? Again, we're so consumeristic. And then what else happened was we went from going to church and kind of being part of this community, and that had all its flaws. A lot of them were judgmental. I get all that. And then we got into um, uh, the church. The primary role of the church is for me to preach the word to you, and you're supposed to receive it and learn. Like it became a learning institution. And so you'll hear people talk like, I just want the word, I just want the word, I just want the word. Well, that's all fine. But then when my generation came, there also came this thing called, um, oh, the internet. And that had all the information. <laughs> like literally you could listen to me preach right now and hear the word, which you will in a second. And you could Google it. Honestly, honestly, to be honest, you could find a pastor that preaches this sermon better than me. I don't know where they are, but you can find them, okay? Chat GPT. Look at how the Bible describes the church. It has the church, and, and this is the role of the church and the role of Jesus. The church is one body. It's like together. It's not learning pods all over the place. It's the church is together. It's the gathering. It's what we're doing right now. This is the gathering. This is the church. This is the community. And one head, Jesus Christ. It's one bride, not a bunch of individual brides. Like you're learning over here and you're learning over here. No, this is it, right? One bride, one groom. One branch and one vine. One kingdom and one king. One flock and one shepherd. I am not your shepherd. I'm a sheepdog that leads you to the shepherd. Your shepherd is Jesus, okay? One building, one foundation, one family, and one father. If I could sum up this sermon in one kind of big thing that might make you uncomfortable, the minimum you should be doing as a believer is attending a gathering every week. The reason it's every week, you say, oh boy, this sounds like legalism, this sounds like, oh, you know, whatever. The reason it's every week is because that's what affects the rest of your week. It's like the tithe. If somebody said to me, John, give me just two minimum things. I, I just accepted Christ. What are two things that would change my life? Tithe and go to church. You're like, well, that sounds, what about, you know, tithe affects all of your income. It affects how you spend the rest of your money. It's an anchor. It says, okay, I've set this aside. Now I have this to live on. It has impacted me so that all my financial decisions come off of that. The tithe isn't to make money for the church. It's an individual thing. You tithe to a local congregation so that at least you're getting some type of impact of what you're giving is. Tithe 
and then go to church every Sunday. What does that do? It affects every other decision you make. Soccer practice, baseball, ballet, you know, what you're going to do, like all, all these different things. You have to consciously make that decision. So you, you say, man, this sounds really like tough. Well, it's getting worse. Okay, Ephesians 4, 15, listen. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. We can't do that from home. We can't do that on Facebook. That's not how it works. The idea of the church is the gathering, the ecclesia. It's coming together. Here's my point this morning. You are a reflection of the community in which you invest most. You're a reflection of that. You say, now look, you look around, maybe don't look right now. And you're like, I don't want to be the reflection of that person. <laughs> like that person next to me. That's not what it means. What I mean is this. A community that values authenticity that values the truth, that values service, that values um, uh, commitment, that values um, uh, a relationship with Jesus. That is the community that gathers, and that is the community that you will have reflected when you look at yourself five years from now. Going to church, like the, the act, isn't sin or not sin. It's it's carving out a specific time that the rest of your time goes around. Let me give you an idea of the early church first, and then we'll move into how this affects us. So what happens is Jesus is preparing the disciples, and he says, Hey, uh, I'm leaving, I'm leaving, I'm leaving, but I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. Okay? And they're, they, they're like, oh, okay, whatever. And then they're like, where are you going? You know, and then... And then they try to get him not to go. And he's like, I'm telling you, I'm leaving. I'm going to leave the Holy Spirit. So he leaves and he says, wait for the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit shows up. And the first thing the Holy Spirit does is establish the church. The Holy Spirit comes and like he, Peter starts preaching, right? You devote yourselves to the apostles' teaching. He's preaching. He's, he's sharing the gospel. They're all together. They're amazed. And, and 3,000 people come to Christ. They're added to the number, right? And so here's where they go from there. Now they've got the gathering, the church. They've got the Holy Spirit. And this is what it looks like. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. To the breaking of bread and to prayer. Every time you see the word church or anything about it, it's a gathering of people together. It's not learning experiences or I, you know, I, I, I listen to this sermon online. Like, those are all great, but that's not the church. That's not the gathering. That's just learning. And so here's where they were. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now watch. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Well, that, that's amazing. Okay. So, uh, and all the believers were together and had everything in common. Listen to how close-knit this group was. And this will scare you, because it does me. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Now you're like, yeah, let's not go back to that 
let's not go back that far in the church. <laughs> let's just go back a few generations. But this is the early church. This is what it was. It, it, there was this impact of the gathering together. Now watch. Then they, they, they had things that looked kind of like what we're doing now. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Right? They were listening to the apostles' teaching. There was, a, there was a teaching element to it. But then they broke bread in their homes. And they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Listen. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Why were they being saved? See, what the generations before kind of, and it culminated into my generation was, if you learn enough of the Bible and you have enough information, you can go to somebody and convince them about Jesus. It's called apologetics. So you go, you have all your information, you know everything you need to know, and you go and you convert somebody to this. And then their job is to learn as much as they possibly can so they can convert somebody. That's not why the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They had no Bible. The New Testament didn't come until much, much later. Right? Something's happening. They're coming to Christ because of the gathering. Because there's a sense of the Spirit of God is impacting everybody's life together. When we come together and we sing together, it's not just that we come to sing. There's something special about the gathering. There's something special about carving it out. Jesus even prayed this. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. He's praying to his heavenly father, and he's talking about the disciples. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in them through their message. In other words, us. This, this, this lineage of people who've come to Christ, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, that they may also, uh, also be in us, so that the world may believe. There's something about the gathering. You know what Jesus said? He said this incredible thing. He said, the church is the vehicle by which the gates of hell cannot stand against. Jesus didn't say anything else. He said to Peter, upon this rock, I will build my gatherings. Throughout all these gatherings, all this gathering, 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 and the gates of hell cannot stand against that. that that's what Jesus said. Not, not me. I'm not trying to guilt you into coming to church. I'm just saying, if you want your life to change, it's a really important part of it. So you say, okay, John, okay. John, first of all, um, we're not doing signs and wonders like they were there. If there were signs and wonders like the apostles were doing, I'd come to the gathering. That'd be great. Well, that's consumeristic. But anyway, I'll give it to you. And then you say, well, John, John, I'm not, if, if I have to come to church and sell all my possessions and like, give it to the dude next to me, I'm not doing that. Fine, fine, fine. Uh, uh, fine. Let's forget the early church, even though that's how everyone was coming to Christ. I'll give it to you. The problem is there's the rest of the New Testament. And the rest of the New Testament has these things called the one another's. If you've been around a Christian for a long time, you know about the one another's, right? So here's my question to you. If you don't go to a church or you, you kind of learn on your own or you were hurt or wounded by a church, which is totally, I totally get that. Or a church is boring to you, I totally get that. Or, I mean, not here, but anyway. Uh, but yeah, I, I get it. I'll give you all that kind of stuff. But it's incumbent upon you to figure out how you're going to do the one another's. Because that happens in a gathering. 
And it's not the Elks Club, okay? It's not any gathering. Let me read some of these. Serve one another. Accept one another. Now, accept means you're around people that you would not normally accept, right? Or else he wouldn't have said it. Strengthen one another. You've got to know one to strengthen one. Help one another. Encourage one another. Care for one another. Forgive one another. Submit to one another. Commit to one another. Build trust with one another. How in the world are you going to, and how in the world am I going to accomplish this outside of some type of gathering that focuses on Jesus? And if I'm isolated outside of a gathering, I can almost guarantee you I will not grow. The, the vine can't be separated from the branch. It just, it doesn't happen. A, a, a branch cut off bears no fruit, right? It has to be through the gathering. So how do we do all these things? Oh, wait a second. I'm sorry. There's another slide. My bad. Be devoted to one another. Be patient with one another. Be interested in one another. Be at peace with one another. Greet one another. Admonish one another. Spur one another on. Meet with one another. Agree with one another. Be concerned with one another. Church is the minimum. Because you could look at this and go, well, I don't know anyone enough to do that. It starts with the gathering, and then it moves on to then we break bread in each other's homes, and we do all, all those types of things. Our men's ministry, which gets together, we do almost all of this stuff in men's ministry, but it starts here. It starts bringing our families here, making this a priority. And then the rest of my life gets carved out around this sacrifice of the gathering. Oh, there's another slide. Sorry about that. Be humble with one another. Be of the same mind with one another. Be compassionate with one another. Do not be consumed with one another. Do not be angry with one another. Do not lie to one another. Confess to one another. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be conceited with one another. Don't pass judgment with one another. This happens in a gathering that has people that don't look like you. Don't come from your background. Don't share your culture. Vases uh, don't share your language. Right? I mean, it, it just, it's just this diversity. Anyone can walk through those doors. And it's our job to be humble with them, be of the same mind, be compassionate, do not be consumed, not be angry. If I'm just hanging out with my friends, I don't have to do any of this stuff. Except maybe do not be angry. But uh, other than that, that's it. How are you going to get this accomplished? Because if you notice, they're all commands. I believe it starts with the gathering. It starts with the ecclesia. It starts with fighting for a parking space, right? All right. Ah, there's another slide. Do not slander one another. Instruct one another. Live in peace with one another. Do not grumble with one another. Give preference to one another. Do not be conceited with one another. Sing to one another. Turn to the person. No, I'm just kidding. Comfort one another. Be kind to one another. Carry one another's burdens. The only way you can do it is if you know their burdens. And the only way to do that is through the gathering. It sums it all up like this. Love one another. A Christian life without the gathering, to me, doesn't exist. There's no way you can avoid the gathering. And like I said, you might have been wounded by one gathering, and you might have been like this, and the pastor's a hypocrite, and all this kind of stuff. It doesn't get us off the hook, friends. We have to gather. We have to gather. 
Paul says it this way. This is the Apostle Paul. Listen to what he says, the importance of gathering. I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you to make you strong. Watch. That is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Did you know this? And this is a theological reality. You say, John, I come to church. I don't really know anybody. We sing, but I, I can't really do all of those things. Did you know that just your presence is a gift to the other people here? It's a spiritual offering to them, saying, I value what you value. I want to support you as you. I mean, some of you might not have children, but the fact that we allow our children in here is to tell them we value you. You're on our side. It's not a programmatic thing. Here's where I'm talking about the American church. And consumer. Childishness is always self-centered. If I'm self-centered with my wife, I'm being a child. It's, what we, it's the first thing we learn. More and eh, no, we're whining and complaining. And I didn't like this. I didn't like that. And it's crept into the church. I didn't like the music. I didn't like this. And why didn't he do that? It's like, I could just picture Jesus up there going, what the? You guys are, so that's not, you. none of us want to be childish in any area of our life. Why would we be childish? So we, we want to be mature, right? So childness, childishness is self-centered. Maturity is Christ-centered. You say, oh, okay, cool. It's Christ-centered. Well, I'm not going to go to church. I'm just going to focus on Christ. I'm just going to learn about Christ. I'm just going to pour. I'm going to be in the Word all day. And I'm just going to. I'm going to watch stuff online, and I'll, you know, I'll be around people, but it'll be on my time, my agenda, my stuff, and so I'll be like Christ. But here's the problem: if you're Christ-centered, Christ was other-centered. <laughs> so he's just saying, look, if you want to be like me, then you need to be others. Centered. Well, I'll end with this section of scripture that's kind of the, the, the main section. And, um, and again, you know, I'll say this just one time. I'm not trying to make anyone feel guilty for not going to church. Like if, if you're like, shoot, we had vacation next weekend. <laughs> like, that's not what I'm, what I'm saying, right? It's my job, though, to tell you what the Word of God says and to just tell you what it says, Right? And like I said, if you go through scripture, you should be bringing your kids to church every week. If you have access to your grandkids and they don't normally go to church, they should be coming to church. This weekly gathering, there's something spiritual. There's something about the discipline of weekly gathering that changes our lives. We can't do it on our own. Here's what Romans 15 starts out with, verse 1. We who are strong, so you'd think the strong ones don't need to be in the gathering, right? Because they're strong. They don't, they don't need church. They, they, they figure it out on their own. I, I'm telling you, I know more scripture. If, if I didn't ever read the Bible again in my life, I can't do all the things I already know I'm supposed to do, <laughs> right? I, I can't do it all. Like it's, I, I, I'm not good at anything, right? But watch, they bear with the... Failings of the weak, not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. That's our job, to build each other up. And for some of you, you say, I don't have anything to offer. I'm telling you this. 
your presence in the local church, whichever church, whether it's here, or whether somebody sent you this video and uh, this sermon and they want you to hear this because they want you to get back into church, uh, your, just your presence is a huge gift to the people around you. Because think about it. Imagine if there were only five people in here. You'd be like, man, did I make a mistake? <laughs> you know, right? Oh, praise God there's more than five people. But, but that, that's the thing. You, you don't realize how important your presence is because when you come, you bring the Spirit of God that is working on your life. So he says to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who, uh, who insult have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He goes on, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. You are a reflection of the community in which you invest most. As Tanner comes back up, we're going to do something a little different this morning. I was going to have Lisa, you should go thank Lisa, okay? Because I was going to have everybody move up to just like pack out, you know, however many. Th there's no empty seats like in the first, whatever, seven rows or whatever it is, right? But she said that's not a good idea. So I listened to my, always listen to your wife, okay? So I'm not going to do that. But, but what we are going to do is we're going to take communion together. But we're actually going to take it together. I want to read a little section of scripture uh, as they come up here and... Uh, He's, Paul's talking to this church in Corinth. Now, you know what? Uh, I don't want you to look at it yet. Um, Paul's talking to this church in Corinth, and one of the problems with Corinth was the church had just become very individualistic. So even when they came together to take communion, the wealthy people would show up with like a big bucket of Kentucky Fried Chicken. They'd have like all these, all these sides. And of course, they didn't work in the field. So they could get to church early and they'd just be feasting. And then they, you know, uh, back then you'd have communion with wine. And so they'd go through a bit of that first. And so Paul's going, and then the people from the fields would show up and they don't have anything to eat. And everything's already eaten. And it's like, we're going to have communion now. And people are asleep and half passed out. And Paul's like, what, the, what are you guys doing? That's why in the Bible it says don't take communion in an unworthy manner. It's not talking about whether or not you're a Christian. It's talking about what are you doing? Why are you so individualistic? Examine yourself. Look at yourself. That's what he says. Here's what it says. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body. For we all share the one loaf. Know that I love you. I know this one was a tough one, maybe. Uh, but uh, why don't we go ahead and stand for the blessing. Father, the Son, and the 
the Holy Spirit. I pray that you would go in his grace and his love and his mercy and in his unity. In Jesus' name, amen.